a Podcast One production. Crisis. Grabs the attention, doesn't it? And in a world based on perception, politics is a haven for crisis. I'm Adam Peacock, and on Peacock Politics, I want to delve into the world of political crisis and find out how it's managed. How does a politician survive or not when they do something or someone they shouldn't? Michael Smith is an expert in crisis management. He's seen them unfold in a previous life as a newspaper editor, and now he helps manage them with his own company, Inside PR. Mike, you've been described as the spin doctor's spin doctor, so you must have been a wizard for getting out of homework at school. <laughs> I think I think I learned my spin doctoring skills uh, well after I uh, left school. Uh, but, um, you know, it's political spin is... Uh, and and political crisis is completely different to a crisis somewhere else because politics breaks all the rules. You can't follow the textbook of crisis management in politics because of the nature of politics. And the nature of politics is that it's a jungle and you can't control the debate internally, let alone externally. You have a natural opposition. Uh, if you're in government, it's it's the opposition parties. They can use parliament uh, with privilege to dump on you. And you have a, a Canberra press gallery that's uh, voracious and competitive. And when they get the smell of blood in their nostrils, uh, it's, they become very vicious watchdogs. So a, a political crisis is almost impossible to control almost impossible control, and, and and mostly it fails. The ultimate example is um, the biggest political and constitutional crisis in our history in 1975. There was no way that could be settled smoothly either for the government or the opposition. The only way out of it was an election, which, which had to happen. So there's a political crisis and there's personal crisis for politicians. Would you say that they're two main avenues in the in the world of politics? Yeah, and look, I think most political crises revolve around um, a minister or a prominent individual in a government or opposition party. There's been uh, 94 ministers who have resigned or been sacked since Federation in 1901. That's almost the rate of uh, one a year. It's mostly for misbehaviour or uh, or misleading parliament or improper uh, use of uh, expenses. Uh, stuff like that. And uh, I mean, those things are very hard to, those crises are very hard to contain, which is why they mostly end in um, in getting rid of the minister, either through his own volition or, uh, or the prime minister sacks him. Uh, but often that uh, natural ending is delayed for sometimes days or weeks and a lot of damage is done in the crisis in the meantime, when more decisive action earlier uh, might have uh, got rid of it. I guess the only way around it all is for the the politician himself or herself to just be perfect, but that's not that easy, is it? Because everyone has a past. Uh, Well, yeah, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be honest and truthful. The trouble with politicians is they try to cover up, they try to spin, and they make it worse. They dig the hole deeper. I've found that, um, you know, Australians in um, sort of all walks of life are very prepared to um, uh, forgive people if they admit a mistake, promise to do better, and not just promise to do better, but demonstrate by their actions that they are doing better. People get angry, people get upset, people get um, really annoyed when they see uh, politicians blaming someone else 
when they see politicians denying, when they see them spinning, when they see them not answering questions properly, when they see them not being transparent. And that only deepens the crisis. Okay, so you've operated on both sides of the fence, if you like, in terms of the the press gallery and trying to get the story out of a politician and perhaps the other side of trying to smooth the waters somewhat and make the story, I don't know, is go away too harsh a word when you're working in PR to, to crisis management to help the problem go away? Uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's the ultimate uh, aim of trying to... Um, hose down a crisis to get rid of it. <laughs> uh, it's a matter of how you get rid of it that matters and uh, trying to get rid of it by denying it or not facing up to it or not owning it is uh, is usually a big mistake. What are you protecting when a politician is under siege for whatever crisis it might be? Are you protecting the person, the politician or actually the party that they represent? That depends who the client is. <laughs> and and you, usually uh, they're, all different, uh, they're all different people. And that's why, you know, you might, have, you might have a government, you might have a PM's office, you might have a minister, you might have a party, all trying to deal with a crisis, but all working their own agendas and, and not necessarily in sync. And then, of course, in, say, a leadership crisis, you have factions within the party who, and they're all acting to try and position themselves in the best possible place to be re-elected, frankly. So you have all these uh, conflicting messages and that breaks one of the golden rules of crisis management that um, you've got to have a consistent message, preferably through a single spokesperson and preferably the boss. Preferably the boss, yes. Having the overarching thought of what they want out of this and move it all forward. Who pays for crisis management? For instance, do political parties pay consultants, third parties, or they try and deal with it in-house with their own staff? Well, uh, uh, governments and uh, ministers' offices uh, have full-time advisors. Part of their job is to um, uh, manage crises, whether that's a chief of staff or a media advisor or both, perhaps sometimes uh, uh, legal advice. And uh, political parties also have uh, uh, advisors, consultants, um, and all sorts of other stakeholders have advisors and, cults and consultants. Anybody with um, a stake in the particular crisis will have in-house or, or external consultants or both trying to shape the debate, whether that be a union or an individual business or a business lobby organisation or a group of farmers or an environmentalists. Um, they all have um, usually a mixture of in-house and, uh, and external uh, consultants. Is this happening all the time or is it a rare event that external consultants all pile in and, and try and help out a situation? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's happening every day and it doesn't just happen in crises. Uh, I mean, it happens a level below uh, crisis management is issues management when you're trying to manage the debate or manage an issue or manage a subject, manage a political uh, debate. The same people have uh, internal and external consultants to try and shape it in their direction. Okay, I want to just put you in a hypothetical situation, but it hopefully relates to something that you've dealt with in the past or heard about in the past. Okay, a politician wakes up one morning and gets a call from someone says, I know you've done this in your part, like you've had an affair or you've had your hand in the till five, ten years ago and we're going to out this. We're going to out you and we're going to stuff you. We're going to skewer you. So you get a call from that politician. How do you then deal with it? Uh, well, I would uh, tell him to buy a little bit of time 
don't respond directly. So I uh, promise to get back to whoever's calling, and I'm assuming it's uh, you, you're, you're meaning it's a media call uh, or, or from any sort of call. Buy a little bit of time to give yourself a little bit of thinking time and get some advice. Get some advice from uh, from somebody with a broader perspective, not somebody closely involved with it, somebody like a, a crisis manager or a uh, close colleague. Then you have to um, make sure that your immediate superiors know about it, whether it's the prime minister or, or, or a minister, so that um, they're not taken by surprise. And then get some quick advice from uh, from your crisis manager and uh, and from your uh, from your lawyer. But first of all, buy some thinking time by saying, "Look, I can't talk to you now. Let's um, give me a number. I'll call you back in an hour or two. Um, that would be my first piece of advice. And then the next level of advice depends entirely on um, the discussions you have with that client over the next hour or two to find out exactly what happened. <laughs> the truth. You try and get the, the truth. truth out of them. I try and get the truth. And look, the best story is always the truth. Um, the worst story is, um, is covering up the truth. There are more politicians that uh, tumble and fall and, and get sacked because they tried to cover up rather than... Um, uh, the, the individual act. And of course, the classic example of that is Richard Nixon. Um, he didn't um, he didn't get into trouble because of the burglary. He got into trouble for covering it up. Mm. And it's a bit the same with uh, Bill Clinton. Here we, you know, we had a ludicrous example um, back in the 80s when um, uh, Minister Michael McKellar got into trouble for um, uh, failing to declare on his uh, customs form a Paddington bear his wife brought back in her luggage from London. And, um, I mean, this was kind of a misdemeanour. Why not just fess up and say, oh, I forgot, I'll, I'll make amends, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pay the price, or, in fact, I'll pay double the price and it won't happen again. Instead, they got themselves tangled up and another minister responsible for customs tried to cover it up. In the end, they both uh, resigned. Um, you know, over it's such a trivial thing be- simply because they tried to cover it up. Over a toy. Over a toy Paddington bear, yeah. <laughs> a teddy bear. Wow. <laughs> impressive. That's an impressive way to go out if you're going to go out. Um, and there was yeah. another minister who, the same thing with a colour TV. He didn't declare it on his duty form. Um, and, uh, you know, bec- because he fudged it and, and tried to duck it, um, he lost his job too, and um, uh, when he stood down, I think the man who got his seat might have been Tony Abbott. So that's uh, oh, there you go. There's a sliding doors moment. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. How vain are politicians in terms of protecting their own reputation? Oh, look, most of them are terribly vain. Look, I've got to say there are some exceptions. There are some really good politicians, but um, I think instinctively, the problem with politicians is that. They won't admit their errors. They won't admit their mistakes. They won't admit they get anything wrong. Uh, they won't give an inch to the opposition. And, and this is one of the other nature of politics, that the opposition is always trying to use any issue or crisis to make it worse for the government. And and uh, and the government just, a last resort is to give an inch to the opposition. They just refuse to do it. Why and, is that? Uh, you know, politics is uh, is a bit of theatre and sport. It's gladiatorial. You just don't want to take a blow from the opposition. You'll do anything to avoid it. And uh, sometimes you do things that get you into more trouble. That's weird because 
people appreciate resilience and if you're stuffed up and people appreciate being honest and people appreciate that people make mistakes. So I would have thought that we're a little more forgiving. Are they overthinking it? That's what I'm saying. The electorate is maybe thinking that, oh, okay, you've stuffed up, um, you've admitted it, just get on with life. You, you haven't, as long as they haven't murdered someone or done something criminal in a sense, everyone's fallible, aren't they? That would be absolutely good advice. That uh, you, you should be in crisis management. But there's, I think I might do this. There's a, there's a culture in Canberra, and um, it sort of emanates from the bear pit of the parliament. When when you see that operate, it's uh, they just uh, they're just not debating on the same level. They, they, they don't answer questions. They fudge. They always try and turn the question to the opposition. You know, it's like a point scoring contest in a wrestling match. They just don't want to give away one thing and they, um, I don't think they do themselves any good. And that kind of culture is because morale in a parliamentary team is so important. And the bare pit of question time in parliament often sets the morale of the government and the opposition for the rest of the day. So politically, it's really important. Don't give an inch. Whack them round the ears. Kick them in the guts. And do you know what the fallout from that is? That I think a, an enormous loss of trust and confidence in politics in the Australian community. Exactly. Which I, th- which I think is the biggest political crisis of all. <laughs> exactly. So I look at, a, I look at questions <laughs> and I go, why are they yelling at each other? I think I mentioned in an early episode, why are they acting like my... Seven-year-olds would in a room full of sugar that they've just had and they're on a sugar high. It's just, uh, anyway, that's what it looks like and if they want to go down that path, uh, yeah, so it is. Yeah, it. Uh, it, is, it is infantile and, um, and, you know, it's just not doing them any good. Uh, no mm. wonder the, uh, trust and confidence in politicians is at an all-time low. Crisis management, can you train preemptively, like to train politicians up on it before it happens? You know, just give them a bit of, here's a guide to it if it does so happen. Well, you can with almost everything except politicians. Most large organisations have a crisis management plan. And look, controlling a crisis in politics is even more difficult than controlling a national disaster. I'm not saying it's more important Mm. or more serious than a national disaster. I'm just saying it's more difficult to control because Australia and all the agencies involved in handling a national disaster have a crisis plan. They have rehearsals. They know what to do. They're step by step by step. They know what to do step by step by step. Politics isn't like that because a political crisis is like a bushfire out of control. You cannot control all the components of the crisis, not even on your own side. That said, does it sometimes not get out? Is it managed within, like contained, like you've kept the air in the bottle, so to speak? Oh, look, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure there are uh, a lot of potential crises uh, buried somewhere under the slime, but it's <laughs> it's more. Difficult to do that these days. You know, back in the um, 70s when fax machines come in, came in, we, we called them the truth serum of the 70s <laughs> because documents could get out by fax. You know, you didn't have to meet anyone in a dark alley or in the back seat of a station wagon to have a glimpse of a secret document. And then along came uh, 
Xerox photocopiers, which made it very easy to copy large bundles of documents. That was the truth serum of the 80s, when whistleblowers and others could get large caches of documents out. And then came email. That was the truth serum of the uh, of the noughties, because then, you know, huge amounts of documents could be could be slipped out instantly by email. So, and now we have tracking of telephones um, and uh, and big data. Uh, that's the truth serum of uh, of the twenty first century. So it's very hard to bury something now. It uh, usually always comes to the surface. So it's silly trying to do it. If somebody sees you lying in public, there's usually somebody who has an email, a text, a document, somewhere that can prove you're lying and that's often going to be your undoing. Has that simplified crisis management or made it more difficult? Well, it simplified it for me. It's made it more <laughs> difficult for politicians. You know? <laughs> Good crisis managers always say the truth is the best story. Mm. Um, I mean, there are ways of telling the truth and sometimes there's a fine line between the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But if you can put your hand on your heart and tell the truth and with no fear of being contradicted, that's a good start to crisis management. What's your, if you can, and you don't have to name names, you can if you want, but what's your favourite story of something that was managed well, in your opinion? Uh, something that was managed well in politics? Mm. Look, it's uh, very hard, very hard to think of something that was managed well. I think um, whether you agree with it or not, I think the government has done well to manage the debate on refugees and homeland security. Now, like I say, you may not agree with it, but they've stuck to their key messages. They've stuck to their policies. They haven't been exposed in being uh, duplicit or, um, or corrupt in any of them. They've kept the messages simple and clear. Of course, they're controversial policies, but they're important policies to the government and I think they've managed the debate on that probably as best they could for a very, very controversial area. That's so touchy, that, isn't it? Because it makes, and you can understand why, it makes so many people's blood boil when you bring up this emotive subject and that's a, it's not as if it's a, like a tax plan or, you know, or, or something that's black and white. It's, it's so emotive. It's a very hard thing to, to uh, keep a line on. It is, uh, but I think the government realises that um, on the matter of refugees, there are significant numbers of Australians who don't think the refugees should come in, who do think immigration is too high, and on the homeland security issue, they know that they can scare the bejesus out of people if they relax homeland security. So, you know, you have to look at the environment you're putting your crisis management into and I think, you know, the government has pretty much got away with that. Uh, even if you're opposed to it, they've got away with it. And I think the ultimate evidence of that is that um, they um, that helped them win the election. Would they have got crisis management experts in to, you know, give them a guide to back to that preemptive situation? Okay, they've come up with this immensely controversial policy. Would they have got crisis management experts in to say, okay, well, this is going to happen, but down the line, you've got to keep an eye on this? 
Yeah, look, I think um, on those two sort of very high-level political issues, most of the strategy work on deciding the strategy for managing that crisis would have been done internally, um, probably um, with some advice from their pollsters and a couple of other advisors. After they determined the strategy and decided to stick with it, I think they may have... uh, may have hired consultants to implement parts of it, particularly communication strategies around um, homeland security and, uh, and immigration. What about the worst case that you've seen tried to be managed and it's just ended up in the guy's or woman's face hitting, like tripping over and splashing your face on the concrete type thing, you know, just a total stuff up? Well, I think um, uh, Barnaby Joyce is an example recently with his his affair with his uh, private secretary, but even worse than that was one of his colleagues, the member for Mali, uh, Andrew Broad, who was assistant to the Deputy Prime Minister and did in fact publicly criticise Barnaby Joyce for his uh, private affairs. And then it turned out that um, Andrew Broad himself had been using a sugar daddy website to uh, procure (laughs) girls in Hong Kong. now, that just is hypocrisy, black letters, caps, underline, <laughs> italics. Moronic, that, that's what it is. <laughs> and it, and if, if there's one thing the public can't stand, it's, uh, it's hypocrisy amongst politicians. But is that a classic case of a politician's ambition getting the better of him? You said he was the deputy to the deputy PM, so he's thinking in his own mind, oh, if he goes, I get his job. Is that plain and simple what it was, do you think? I don't think Andrew... Um, Broad uh, had any uh, justifiable ambitions to get his job. Um, I think he was just plain dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't help plain dumb. There's no cure for it, is there? Uh, no, no amount of advice will get around um, the plain dumb problem. On the whole, in the modern day, and, and you, you're so experienced, you've seen it, as mentioned, both sides of the fence as a journalist and a newspaper editor, and then on this side of the fence in terms of, of PR and, and crisis management. Is Australian politics in the modern age rife with crisis? Uh, Well, I think, sure, in the last few years, last several years, I think it's been crisis after crisis and uh, most of that has evolved around uh, leadership in in both parties. Um, The, um, you know, John Howard and many famous international politicians before him said disunity is death. It's Mm. disunity that causes the worst crises, and we've seen it in spades, uh, eight prime ministers, what, in uh, seven or eight years, and uh, that um, coming one after the other successively, it creates a culture of crisis so that every issue that comes up has the potential to build in a crisis because we know these people are so inept and disloyal and backstabbers that um, they, they have a propensity to make a mountain of a crisis out of a molehill of an issue. To counteract crisis, is diversion used as a tactic, i.e., okay, something's happening to a said politician, but whoever is helping that said politician with their crisis management goes, oh, by the way, there's this story, just to try and take the eyes off the ball, if you know what I mean, especially if we're dealing with the media? Uh, Yeah, that's known as uh, deflection, trying to direct the attention of the media or or others to positive things. Uh, That's often part of a, a crisis strategy. I think it's uh, better to um, use those sort of tactics in the recovery phase. Let's deal with the crisis first. Let's own it. Let's get rid of it. And now let's show the other side of this person. Yeah. 
I, I know about deflection. It happens on a daily basis in my house. It's um, Adam, did he take <laughs> the bins out? Oh, sorry, I didn't. But you didn't put the dishwash dishes away <laughs> out of the dishwasher. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that, that happens that's in all a, that's, a, that's another bad move trying to blame someone else. So. <laughs> no, no, that's not good either. Um, so, overall. Crisis for a politician is a bit like ageing. It's going to happen at some point to pretty much everyone at just a point of how you deal with it. Uh, yeah, face up to it, own it, tell the truth, apologise if appropriate, promise to do better, and more importantly, actually do better. Fair enough. Mike, thank you so much for your time uh, on Peacock Politics. It's not only lessons in political crisis management, but I think uh, subconsciously there's some lessons in life here for all of us. Um, Much appreciated and, uh, yeah, thanks again for your time. Been a pleasure, Adam. Peacock Politics was presented by me, Adam Peacock, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Liv Proud, sound production by Darcy Thompson, theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search Peacock Politics on Apple Podcasts.